If you remain standing and take out that pew Bible, that red book if you're visiting, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, the seventh chapter. It's on page six, halfway through that book. They divide the Old and New Testament. I have no idea why the NRSV did this, but if uh, you turn to six near the back of your Bible, in the seventh chapter, verses one through six. If you are a visitor, we are glad you're with us. We're getting ready to come to this table where we take hands with brothers and sisters around the world. This communion table, it's not a table of any denomination but of Christ. And we prepare and we take a look this morning at the arrest of Christ. How do you respond? Do you judge people or do you just conclude about it? Very famous passage here in the seventh chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 6. Together as God's people, let's read this aloud. And as you read... Listen carefully, you're reading God's word. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. This ends the reading of God's holy word to him be the glory and the honor. When we run into injustice, when things that are just plain wrong happen, The question for all of us as followers of Jesus is this. When do we stand and fight it? And when do we turn the other cheek and just absorb the pain of injustice? When I was uh, ordained in 1981, the uh, first time around, um, I remember a pastor friend of mine on a retreat, one of our fellow clergy, was just accused of molesting two young boys. He did not get an attorney. He did not seek outside help, though he adamantly denied it. And the board of the church and the family members said that if he would resign as a pastor and promise never to be a pastor again, they thought that was sufficiently repentant. He moved to Colorado at that time. was from another state. The only job he could get was as a night security guard. Ten years later... About two in the morning, his friends came driving over in their pajamas, and they said, we had to come over to tell you, your brother just called from Lubbock. The two boys admitted that they made the whole thing up. A fruitful ministry totally destroyed, his character ruined for life. And the question is, should have he resisted more? Bel Air, with the mission that you and I have, I believe, of the Lord to, to grow disciples here, to grow in our knowledge of the Word and to have accountable, encouraging relationships and use our spiritual gifts together. And when we go out into this city, in the valley and on the west side, trust me, we're going to confront evil big time. And the question is, should we resist it? And the answer is, absolutely yes. You always resist evil. The trick is... How we resist it. In this heartbreaking story, which we will be going over this morning in our life of our Lord, as we get ready to come to this table as followers of Him and to say that we might share in His sufferings and in His life together. 
We see Jesus in the garden. He resists evil in two different ways. He stands his ground and just takes a smack in the face and stops evil when it comes to his friends. And yet he also overcomes evil a different way by accepting the Father's cup. And Bel Air, with the mission that we have in front of us, both those responses at times will need to do. How do you know which one to do? The laws of love will make it clear. If you have your Bible, turn with me. Let's take a look at this passage over to John, the 18th chapter. It's on page 112 in your pew Bible. Jesus resisted evil sometimes by standing his ground for others. Now, John assumes, I think, that you've read one of the other Gospels. Because very often he'll do things and mention stuff without explaining it. Like he will say, this was before John the Baptist was arrested. And not even mention John's arrest, like you know about it. Here, what's interesting is what he doesn't put in. He doesn't put in the Garden of Gethsemane scene where Christ is pleading with the Father, take this cup away from me three times and sweating drops of blood. But look what he does put in. In uh, verses 1 through 3, let's read this together out loud if you have that. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. What you have there, you don't have the story of Gethsemane, but John adds in this story. And we said two weeks ago, when Judas betrays him, not just how he betrays him with a kiss, but it's where he betrays him. Gethsemane, which means the olive press. And the reason it's the olive press, there are olive trees there, But the Son of God, God in human flesh, Jesus, a 33-year-old blue-collar worker that felt just what you're feeling right now, the agony, was he going to go and pay this terrible price for you and for Brewer? And remember this, Calvary was decided not on Golgotha, but in Gethsemane. The big battles you and I have in life, I really believe this, are decided... Not when you're face-to-face with the battle, but ahead of time in your prayer life. You know what I mean. In the little issues of life, sometimes we decide, I'm going to serve God, and we're smart enough not to bring it up conscious to ourselves, but we just keep it pre-conscious. We say, I will go this far with God, and if He doesn't perform, I'm not going any farther. Jesus was no different in that sense. He said, Father, I've done everything you have ever asked. One thing I ask from you. One thing, take this cup from me. But not my will, thy will be done. Jesus was in sheer horror and terror of what was waiting for him. And it wasn't just the physical grotesqueness of the cross, which he hardly looked forward to. But he who knew no sin was about to become the sin of the world. That's why it's so important that you and I, you know, when you come together, and you can pray anywhere. You can pray when you're at work, when you're at class. You can pray when you're driving. The way some of you drive, other people are lifting up God's name all the time. I've seen that. Well, the Lord can be there with you. But when you come together like this, you watch in your life, or on Wednesday nights when we have our Lenten prayer time, or a Bible study in your office or in your school, wherever you're at or at home, it makes a difference. God says, if you draw near to me, 
I will draw near to you. God has done the response. His son has come without our asking. But we got to respond back in coming in this way. So Jesus is in the garden. And look at the insanity of this. Judas comes. Why are they coming with soldiers, with weapons and torches and lanterns? Because four or five days earlier, Jerusalem just broke into a riot saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the king of Israel. They thought they were going to have a fight on their hands. They wouldn't let the supposed Messiah be arrested. And they're bringing torches and lanterns to extinguish the light of the world. The psychosis of sin. Sin is mad in its deepest sense. The next time evil whispers to you or to me, give in to this temptation and you'll have life. That's so Aggie salute, duh. It's the exact opposite. And yet we have this congenital disease, so we, we give into it all the time. And they're coming to dis- extinguish by light the light of the world. Remember what Paul said in Romans? Claiming to become wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth for a lie. You know, you and I live out here in the valley on the west side and in on the media and in the all the different things that are coming our heads through textbooks or whatever. We're told all the time this bogus lies. That's all right. Everyone has the right to say it. But when we exchange it for the truth, not because we want the truth, but we take it hook, line, and sinker that that's the fast way, the shortcut to fulfillment. And that's what they're doing here. And then it continues on. So what is Christ going to do? They show up. Look at verse 4. In fact, uh, you find verse 4. Let's read verses 4 down through 9 together. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Now this is a great scene. Jesus is going to stand his ground. Evil has come to arrest him. They thought he'd be hiding off in the caves. And his men, and Jesus steps forward and says, who are you after? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall back to the ground. And so after a minute, he looks at them and they get up and they're putting their armor back on. He says, who are you after? They said, Jesus. He said, I told you, that's me. Let these people go. You see, there's a time that we have to stop and confront evil face to face. Call it for what it is. When you see the ethics of Enron and the greed that's in the marketplace, at some point you go, this is wrong. When you see, and those of you that are involved in the entertainment industry, and I know that we do have a lot of people there, that's what's fun about Bel Air and stuff. You're not just supposed to do great quality art. You're not supposed to just reflect the world's values. You're supposed to teach the world values through art. Does that make sense? And you have to confront it. Those of you that are in schools or in places when, you know the manipulators that are out there? Sometimes you say no to them. You just read in Matthew... Jesus said, do not judge. If you judge, 
The measure you apply to others will be applied to you. Someday when we all stand before the Lord, and this is for all the world, now those of us in Christ, and if you've never given your heart to the Lord, do it before you come here this morning. You won't be at the judgment seat of the great white throne. That's for those who have chosen not to follow God. We will give an account for the deeds done in the flesh, not on the sense of salvation, though. We're there by grace. But someday the great apocalypse. Remember what I told you? Apocalypse means to pull the cover off. And if last night for your husband or wife, if they rolled over and pulled the covers off and you were shivering, they apocalypsed you. <laughs> and someday when God pulls it back, everyone will stand self-convicted. you know why? It's not that we don't withhold stand up to God's standards. We don't even hold up to our own standards. Jesus said the measure you apply to others will be applied to you. So is the idea to set the bar real low? <laughs> no, the idea is, then he said, you love them. Don't you judge. And he said, by the way, don't throw your pearl in front of swine. They just, they don't, the pigs don't appreciate pearls. And don't give what's holy to wild dogs. They won't sniff it and come up and come up against you and hug you. They'll turn and tear your throat out. Why? That's what dogs do, wild dogs. Is that a little judgmental, calling people swine and dogs? You see what he's saying? You must wish somebody's highest welfare. And when they do you wrong, then you turn the other cheek. You carry the pack two miles. You, they take your coat. You give them your shirt. But if it's a behavior that's destructive, then you stick your nose in there and you say no. You tell manipulators no. You tell the control freaks out of their stop. And that's why very often in churches, I've talked about before, the tyranny of the minority... You get a few people to think they can bully and snipe at other buddy. How do you pray for them? Well, you don't, like I say, pray for them to be a burnt offering to God, hero God, you know. <laughs> but you don't just go with it either. Sometimes you say, no, 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 no. If an addict comes to you today and says, would you buy me another line of Coke? It's not loving if you give him the money. If an alcoholic says, would you buy me another drink? And you never drink yourself to sobriety, by the way. you just enabling that isn't loving. Sometimes you say... You conclude, but you don't judge them and treat them as less. That's what Christ is saying. But keep in mind, it's our heart that's supposed to be evaluated. And we always are thinking others have the problem. Father, or actually a husband, as he was aging with his wife, he noticed she wasn't listening a lot. And he thought, poor thing, she's losing her hearing. He thought he'd run a test. She was sitting there watching TV and he came up from behind her. She didn't see him and said, honey, can you hear me? And she didn't turn around and... He got a little tear in his eye and he thought, oh no. And then he said, I wonder how bad it is. He took another step. He said, honey, can you hear me? And nothing. And he thought, oh no. And he got this guy. He said, honey, can you hear me? And she said, yes, for the third time. <laughs> Some of you will get that this afternoon. But <laughs> very often we think they're the ones out there that can't hear. And it's we that can't hear. And so Christ stands his ground and his divinity is slipping out, I think. Just like in the Old Testament when Moses said, Can I see you? And God said, I'll have to hide you in a rock. And just the backsplash of God's presence. Remember, Moses' head starts glowing. Or Isaiah came to worship like you and time-space cracked open. And he saw the Lord and he said, Woe is me. Or Daniel, the son of man in all this glory. Or John, the disciple whom Jesus loved on Patmos. When he saw the resurrected Christ, he fell at his feet as though dead. And Jesus is here in the 
He says, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they fell to the ground. And he is saying, don't kid yourself who's in control here. I lay down my life of my own will. And why would he do that? Because he loves you and me. So, Biller, there's a time that you and I are called not to sit on the side, but to confront evil face to face. We're not here to be the most popular. We're not here to be the most admired. We are here to lay down our life in love for others. And that means if you're in a wreck out here and I see you in a car and that car's on fire, I should stop and try to help you even if my wife ends up without a husband and my children without a father. I'm to lay down my life for you. And I know the bad news. You're supposed to do that for me too. <laughs> Sometimes we resist. But look what happens over here in the 18th chapter. We've got to go fast to get to the table here. Look in verse 10. So Jesus protected those whom he loved. Verses 10 and 11. Let's read this together. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now you see here what Christ is doing. He overcomes evil, and Jesus never uses his power for his own rights. But I'll tell you, boy, you want to get the hair up on the back of his neck is when others are being abused and oppressed. But here, Peter, big old Peter. And you know, we talk about Peter denying Christ, and he did. But the only one that's willing to stand and die, like, these are Roman guards. You take up arms against Rome, you die, and you die by crucifixion. It's not a fun way to go. And he picked up a sword... And Peter's a fisherman. He's probably doing the classic Roman maneuver they taught you to hit in the center of the skull. The reason why is the helmets had a bead where they welded it together. And Peter takes a swing and gets the guy's ear, you know. And Jesus says, Peter. He said in Matthew recorded, I have 10,000 legions at my command. Can you imagine? The angels of heaven waiting. What held them back was the Father's hand. All Jesus had to do is one time and say, help. And they would have been there. Luke, the physician, records that he picked up the ear and he heals Malchus. John alone knows who it is. He says it was Malchus. And he said, will I not drink the Father's cup? Does that make sense? We do our part against evil, but God does His. And Beller, I want to tell you right now, God has tests involved for you and me that I think if he showed us up here on the screen the things you and I might have to go through, we'd go running out of here and be worthless for him. It's one day at a time. But you know what else? I think if he put on the screen right now 30 seconds of the glory and the ecstasy that is waiting, the moment we stand before the Lord, just like George, what a great man that just died and went to be with the Lord. If you knew 30 seconds of what was waiting, we'd be worthless. We'd just be sitting around waiting for that moment. That's why we walk a day at a time. And that's why at times God will come and He will say, I want you to drink of a cup that we don't want. And He never forces it. God never grabs anybody by the head and says, Here, drink this, chug this, chug this, take it down. He always gives us freedom. We can choose to take it or not. Last year, remember when Gladiator was taking all the awards and you know, there's one thing that was true about that movie that 
the games of the gladiators went on long into when Rome became a Christian empire. Do you know that? Even after Constantine said that Christ was the way and everybody was to be a Christian. And the Colosseum, we don't really have any records that many Christians died there, but the gladiator games took place. Christians were slaughtered by the thousands in the other arenas. But the Christian men that were fighting, and a little monk by the name of Telemachus one time came to Rome. He was raised out in the countryside, and he heard the roar, and he went in, and he thought maybe what it was, and he saw men fighting to their death. And he said, stop this. It's supposed to be the Holy Roman Christian Empire. And he went running down, and the old boy let himself over the side onto the arena floor, and he got between them and said, stop. And the crowd booed, and one of the gladiators took his shield and knocked him in the face to the ground, and they kept fighting. And he got in between them, and he said, no, brothers. The crowd started to boo, and they didn't do thumbs down. What they did is they covered their thumb if they wanted you to be buried, and they made a fist, a sign, and a slash of the sword, and the blood on the sand, and an old priest was dead. And when the crowd saw it, they got silent. And they left. And as far as we know, the gladiator games never took place again. What did he do? He just did his part and God did the rest. And when we come to this table, this is a statement of that one day a righteous God, a righteous God, a holy God, and the sin that I had done in you, and we deserved, we deserved it. And God loved us so much, and His Son, He stepped in front of us, and He said, I love you this much, stand behind me. And He, He took the hit that our Brewer deserved, and that you deserved. And that's what this table is about. Bel Air, when you come to this table, my brothers and my sisters and my friends, you don't need to overcome evil by your strength. You just simply have to say, Lord, would you overcome evil in me first and let me love others? Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you that you have loved us in a way that we can't understand and that you have called us to be your people. Lord, I pray that you would come now and that you would set aside these elements from a common to a holy use and seal your people to your heart. If there are any here you've never given your heart to the Lord, but you want to have that peace, why not right now? Why not just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and shed your blood and that you are alive. And Lord, I don't understand it, but I take all I know of me and I give it to all I know of you. Come inside of me and by faith, you do that and right now, you'll begin a relationship with him. Thank you, Lord. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, give us your peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.